But then he said, least of all, he appeared to me, even though I was not worthy of the gospel. But you see, the gospel is not about worthiness. The gospel is because we are not worthy. The gospel, the good news, is that Christ died according to the scriptures, was buried according to the scriptures, and was raised again the third day according to the scriptures. Yes, Jesus was executed by the Roman government. But it wasn't because of the Roman government. It was because of your sin and my sin and the sin of the entire world. Well, today we're taking a bit of a departure from our studies in the book of Acts. And so I would encourage you to start out this morning by turning to the book of John, chapter 20, the book of John, chapter 20. I've titled today's message, He Will Meet You Where You Are. We all have a story about where we were when God got a hold of us, if we've been redeemed. Maybe that story for you is still being written. Maybe you have not yet made the decision to follow Christ. I trust that today would be the day. Paul said today is the day of salvation. And so if you have not already done so, I pray that you would bow the knee today and understand the truth of the resurrection day in a whole new way. But the reality is for each of us, we have a story. A story of how God has met us where we were. I want to make a very important point as we begin that God meets us where we are, but he does not leave us where we are. Much of progressive Christianity says that I can meet Jesus and I don't have to change anything about me. But what does Paul say? He says, If any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. In Ephesians, Paul said, You who were once far off are brought nigh by the blood of Christ. We are told also that we are dead in our trespasses and sins, and he makes us alive to Christ. Some people say that God comes to make bad people good. Oh no. Bad people have no way of being good. Rather, he comes to make dead people alive. And I'm here to testify to you this morning that he has made me alive in him and that he can do the same in your life. And so... As I open the word today, I'm focusing on three different stories from the Bible after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You know, one of the reasons that we believe so strongly in the resurrection is because he made many, many appearances to people after he rose from the dead. He didn't just rise from the dead and and walk away from his people and just assume that they would assume by the empty tomb that he was alive and well. No, he appeared to them. 
So let's begin to study this. The first one is he met Mary in the garden. If you're keeping notes, my first point is he met Mary in the garden. John 20, 11 to 18 says, well, let's go to 10. Then the disciples went away again unto their own home, but Mary stood without at the sepulcher weeping. And as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the sepulcher and seeth two angels in white, the one at the head and the other at the feet where the body of Jesus had lain. And they said unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? She saith, Because they have taken my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. And when she had thus said, she turned herself back and saw Jesus standing, and knew not that it was Jesus. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? Whom seekest thou? She, supposing him to be the gardener, saith unto him, Sir, if thou hast borne him hence, tell me where thou hast laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus saith unto her, Mary. She turned herself and saith unto him, Rabboni, which is to say, Master. Jesus saith unto her, Touch me not, for I am not yet ascended to my father, but go to my brethren and say unto them, I ascend unto my father and your father, and to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord and that he had spoken these things unto her. So we see in this first story that Mary is weeping at the tomb. She, her first response when she sees the empty tomb is not to believe in the resurrection, but rather to believe that the body of her Lord has been stolen and taken away, which it's kind of ironic because this is the story that the religious leaders told the guards to make up. They said, say the disciples stole the body and we will secure you. That's why I believe that a lot of these guards and a lot of these Pharisees even made intellectual ascent to the resurrection. They said, we don't have any other explanation except for the resurrection, but because we don't want to deal with the ramifications of the resurrection, we want you to lie and say that the disciples stole the body. And we'll pay you to do that. That is a very significant story. Matthew put it there so that we would be able to study and contemplate that. So please, if you are doubting the resurrection, consider that story. But Jesus meets Mary. And one of the things that I find interesting about the resurrected Christ too is that he was not readily visible to the people that he visited. <clears throat> Remember, on the road to Emmaus, he preached himself to the people that he was with, to those two men on the road to Emmaus, that seven-mile journey. He preached himself to them from the Old Testament. They're like, how, how do you not know what has gone on these days? And he, he probably groaned within himself because he knew more than the rest of us because he was hanging in the balance between heaven and hell. He had taken on sin for us. He had had his father turn his face away. And yet these people are saying, do you not know? 
and he was made known to them in the breaking of bread. When Jesus was on the shores of the Sea of Galilee, and he told them to cast the nets on the other side, they didn't know at first that it was Jesus. Of course, when they realized it, Peter jumped in the water and swam to shore because he was so excited. But they didn't realize it at first. And in this case, for whatever reason, we do not know why, but Mary thought that Jesus was the gardener. But when he said her name, she knew. What did Jesus say? He said, my sheep hear my voice. And I know them and they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life. And they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. The sheep know the voice of the shepherd. What a wonderful picture that is to us. Of the way that God calls our name. Paul said, I want to strive for the thing that, that for which God laid hold of me. And that is why... My one of my missions in life as a minister of the gospel is to speak for him who spoke for me because when I was a five year old boy or shortly before I was five God reached into my heart and he said Andrew I want you to be mine and I surrendered to him and of course you know my testimony many of you that it wasn't an easy journey that for the next nine years I argued with him and said, God, I know my temporary, I know my permanent destination is with you in heaven, but my temporary one, could you do something about that? Because if, if you did, I could serve you, but because you haven't, I can't. And God led me through that and took me progressively more and more off the throne of my own life and took over and my speaking ministry and my podcast ministry is a result of that. It's a result of what can happen when you submit yourself to the Lord Jesus. But I want you to see something here. God knows where we are. We don't have to tell Him where we are. We don't have to inform Him of where we are. He knows. But we also can't hide from Him. The psalmist said, if I ascend to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, you are there. There's no way that we can hide from God. Jonah tried it. Remember, God said, go to Tarshish, Jonah. And Jonah went the exact opposite direction. And God did what? He sent a storm and a big fish to swallow Jonah. And in that, in that belly of that whale, Jonah did business with God. And that actually is a prophecy of Jesus because what does Jesus say? As Jonah was in three days and three nights in the belly of the whale, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the belly of the earth. And in both cases, in Jonah's case, he was spit up on shore and told to go to Tarshish, and he did. Jesus was resurrected from the grave after three days. The devil thought he had won that day. 
but God just started counting to three because he knew what he was going to do. If we could look at, by way of cross-reference, John chapter 10, verses 2 and 3, John 10, 2 and 3, if somebody has that, if they could read it for us, one of the gentlemen, that would be great. He calls his own sheep by name. That's what we see in this passage. He called Mary by name. And when he said her name, she knew that it was him. That's the intimate relationship that she had with her Savior. Oh, that we would have that kind of relationship. That when we hear God call our names, that He, that we would listen. You know, one of my inspirations for my ministry as well is that when Andrew found Jesus, he went and found Peter and he said, Peter, we found the Messiah. There's no greater news to share with someone than that you found the Messiah. That you have hope. You know, this world is hopeless. We can't rely on our leaders. We can't rely on our economy. The only one we can rely on is the Lord Jesus Christ. And unless we get back to basics, first as a church, the Bible says judgment must begin first at the church of God. Unless we get back to the basics here as a church, then we will not see revival in this land and in this country and in this world. Philip Yancey said, the German theologian Jürgen Modelman expresses in a single sentence the great span from Good Friday to Easter. It is in fact a summary of human history, past, present, and future. God weeps with us so that we may someday laugh with him. I'm sure God the Father was weeping when he had to turn his face away from Jesus that night. And yet he did that so that he could say to us, I will never leave you or forsake you. Our second story, our second appearance of Jesus is also in John chapter 20. Let's move our eyes down the page to verse 24, verses 24 to 29. This is Thomas. You know, it's interesting that Thomas gets this bad rap of being the doubter, but I believe that any one of the Twelve disciples, if they had not been there, they would have been the same way. And especially, remember we read in that Luke 24 passage during the breaking of bread. What did he say? Touch me and handle me. See that I am not just a ghost, that I am a person. So, looking at uh, John 20, 24 to 29... But Thomas, one of the twelve, called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said unto them, We have seen the Lord. He said unto them, Except I shall see in his hands the print of the nails, and put my finger into the print of the nails, and thrust my hand 
into his side, I will not believe. And after eight days, again, his disciples were with him, and Thomas was with them. Then came Jesus, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst and said, Peace be unto you. Then he saith unto Thomas, Reach hither thy finger, and behold my hands, and reach hither thy hand, and thrust it into my side. <laughs> and be not faithless, but believing. And Thomas answered my, unto, and said unto him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said unto him, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed are they that have not seen, and yet have believed. And so we see in this passage, again, Jesus meeting one of his followers, one of his beloved ones, where they are. Thomas had doubts and Jesus addressed every single one of them. He said, put your hands in my hands, put your hands in my side. He was there for Thomas and he will be there for us. You know, I, I I kind of find it in some ways difficult to believe that the disciples here would would give Thomas a hard time. I guess the text doesn't say that they gave Thomas a hard time, but remember when the women came from the tomb and said, Jesus is alive. It seemed to them as idle tales. They didn't believe. And yet God was patient and appeared to them as well. God meets us where we are, and I'm so thankful for that. Everybody's journey is the same. Everybody's journey is different. But the end of trusting Jesus is the thing that we have all in common. It's the thing that we are gathered together today for is the name of Jesus. And then ta and then Jesus says this glorious these glorious words, you blessed are you for you have seen and believed, but even more blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. Brothers and sisters in Christ, that is us. We have a special blessing because we believe today in the risen Christ. Can we look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 6 to 9? 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 6 to 9. If someone gets there, if they could read it for us. Paul is laying out the case for the resurrection of Jesus in the great resurrection chapter of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And he says, 
He was seen of 500. Then he was seen of Peter. And he was seen of James. It appears that these were individual meetings. We don't know what was said in these meetings. But then he said, least of all, he appeared to me, even though I was not worthy of the gospel. But you see, the gospel is not about worthiness. The gospel is because we are not worthy. The gospel, the good news, is that Christ died according to the scriptures, was buried according to the scriptures, and was raised again the third day according to the scriptures. Yes, Jesus was executed by the Roman government. But it wasn't because of the Roman government. It was because of your sin and my sin and the sin of the entire world. There's that old song, Were you there when they crucified my Lord? I wasn't physically there, but I was on his mind. He knew about me. In the great capacity of his infinite mind, he was thinking about me. Because he knew that I would need a Savior. And I'm so thankful that we have these testimonies. I don't remember what the math is, but I once read an article that had the math of over 500 people having the exact same vision and the odds that that would be. And it's astronomical. So the only conclusion that I can draw from that is that he is risen. And Paul, Paul is not saying, check your faith at the door, ignore reality. No, Paul is giving a very reasoned defense of the gospel. And of course we know that Jesus appeared to him on the road to Damascus and his life was never the same. So our next visit that I want to talk about is that Jesus met Peter on the seashore. Now, it's very possible that he's already seen Peter two or three times at this point. There's allusions to the fact that he met with Peter one-on-one. Peter was with the eleven in the upper room. And he was with the ten in the upper room the week before when Thomas wasn't there. But this particular meeting was when Jesus pulled Peter aside on the seashore. I'm sure that he was still doubting. I'm sure that he still struggled with what God was actually doing. And so Jesus pulls him aside to prepare him for the future. Let's look at John 21, 15 to 19. John 21, 15 to 19 says, So when they had dined, Jesus saith to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my lambs. He saith unto him the second time, Simon, son of Jonas, 
Lovest thou me? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my sheep. He saith unto him the third time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? Peter was grieved, because he saith unto him the third time, Lovest thou me? And he said unto him, Lord, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest that I love thee. Jesus saith unto him, Feed my sheep. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, When thou wast young, thou girdest thyself, and walkest whither thou wouldest. For when thou shalt be old, thou shalt stretch forth thy hands, and another shall gird thee, and carry thee whither thou wouldest not. This spake he, signifying by which death he should glorify God. And when he had thus spoken this, he saith unto him, Follow me. So, I don't rightly recall, but I seem to have, have remembered in a previous teaching that these three times that Peter said, I love you, he used different words for the word love. I'm not 100% sure if that's true. But isn't it great, regardless, that Jesus gave Peter the opportunity three times to affirm he loved him? Remember how many times did Peter deny knowing Jesus? Three times. And after that third time, the book of Luke tells us that Jesus turned his eyes and looked at Peter. Can you imagine? After Peter denies knowing Christ three times, Peter looks directly into the eyes of his Savior, the one that he just denied. As he's suffering, as blood is pouring off of him. And he runs away and weeps bitterly. And of course we know from this and other passages that he is restored. That he has given a challenge. Now Peter's a slow learner, and so if you read on in the passage, he turns around and says, what about him? And he points at John. And then of course Jesus says, if, if I want him to survive until I return, what is that to you? Now, apparently there were rumors based on that that he would survive until Jesus came again. But he didn't say he will. He just said, if I want it to happen, what is it to you? And so Peter was a slow learner. But in the book of Acts, when the Holy Spirit comes, Peter is going to be a mighty man because he allows the Spirit to indwell him and to dictate what he does and where he goes. And God does great and marvelous things through him. But isn't it wonderful that Jesus met Peter on that seashore? He knew that Peter needed that assurance. Again, he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. And he loves us 
anyway. Can we look at 2 Corinthians 5, 14 and 15? 2 Corinthians 5, 14 and 15. So he died for all, but now he lives. If you lay in prison in some great fortress and the one who loved you went forth to try to rescue you and fell and died fighting, you would cherish the memory of your friend's valiant effort on your behalf, but you would still remain in chains undelivered. So it would have been with those whom Christ came to save if he had not risen. Those for whom he gave his life would not have, would have been undelivered. But Christ has conquered death and holds in his hands the keys of the grave. In the end of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, it says these words, This mortal shall put on immortality, this corruptible shall put on incorruption. And then it says, Therefore, which means because of this, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, that you may know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Why are we able to be steadfast, unmovable? Because we know what the future has in store. You see, some people think they've thought through the, the years, through the ages, that they could kill Christianity. They thought if they killed Jesus that his teachings would die. But he rose from the dead. I'm reminded of what I believe it was Gamaliel said when dealing with the disciples as the church was beginning. He said, he said if this is not of God then it will die out. But if it is a God, there's nothing you can do to stop it. That, of course, is my paraphrase. But basically what he was saying is that people's teachings have come and gone. Kings have been risen up and been taken down. But Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So what do these three stories tell us? They tell us that the same Jesus who met these three individuals, Mary, Thomas, and Peter, where they were, can meet us where we are. Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians 2. Verses 4 to 10. Ephesians 2, 4 to 10 read, But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sin, has quickened us together with Christ, by grace are you saved, 
and has raised us up together and made us to sit in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. For by grace you are saved through faith, and that not of yourself, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, unto good works, which God hath before ordained, that we should walk in them. So this tells us that God is rich in mercy. He loved us with a great love. You know, we throw love around, it's a, it's a buzzword. But he's the one that shows us what love is about. We were dead in our sins. And he raised us from dead. He quickened us together. And he raised us up and made us to sit in heavenly places. This is to show the exceeding riches of his grace. He saved us by his grace. He actually gave us the faith to believe because the Bible says no man seeks after God. There is none righteous, no, not one. So even the faith that we have to believe in part, well, actually in whole, the faith that we have to believe comes from God alone. And then not only does he save us by his grace, but he gives us work to do. He doesn't just say, I'm going to save you and take you out of the world. No, he says, I'm going to save you and give you a job. He took 12 ordinary men who many of them were fishers. There was a tax collector. None of them were startling intellects or had riches or power. But he allowed them along with Mathis later and the Apostle Paul to turn the world upside down for the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because it wasn't about the men themselves. It was about the one that they serve. Do you realize on paper, if you think about it, the most qualified person by the world standards to be an apostle was Judas Iscariot. And yet he is called the son of perdition. Jesus said, of the, of the ones that you have given me, I have lost none. Save the son of perdition, Judas. Scary. Why? Because it's God who works in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Can we look at Titus 2, 13 and 14? Titus 2, 13 and 14. So he purifies himself, his own special people, zealous for good works. He purifies you, and then he puts you to work. He has a plan for you if you will trust him. A missionary in Turkey wished to teach a group of people the truth of the resurrection of Christ. He said, I am traveling and have reached a place where the road branches off in two ways. 
I look for a guide and find two men, one dead, the other alive. Which of the two must I ask for direction, the dead or the living? Oh, the living, cried the people. Then said the missionary, Why send me to Muhammad who is dead instead of Christ who is alive? That's what we are doing as we spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are sending them not to a dead philosopher, but to a risen Savior. My prayer for you is that you will call upon him while he may be found. But I also that you seek him with all your heart, you will find him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the glory of the resurrection. We thank you for who you are and for what you have done for us. We thank you for the stories of Peter and of Mary and of Thomas, that you met them where they are and that you can meet us where we are as well. Now I commit these dear saints into your hands. I ask that you would uh, make your face shine upon them and give them peace as they celebrate with family and friends this afternoon the glorious truth of the resurrection. Because he lives, so shall I. In Jesus' precious name, the risen Savior. Amen.